Alpha is a six-week course exploring the big questions of life. It's for anyone interested in discussing spirituality, God, and the Christian faith in a non-judgmental, open-minded context. Each week, there's a great meal, a short talk, and discussion in small groups. People who come to the course are from lots of different backgrounds. No faith, other faiths, brought up Christian and agnostic. Everyone is welcome. Catch up on each week's talk here. Let me tell you a little bit about the course. I do want to reassure you that there is no agenda. There is no agenda here. A friend of mine, I used to do this course back in London. As you'll hear, uh, I am not from America. Uh, but I used to do this course back in London, and I met someone there who was a staunch atheist. He was a lawyer, very successful lawyer in London. And he came on the course, and he was convinced that the food would be drugged. And so for all, and it was a longer course at those times, 12 weeks, for 12 weeks he ate nothing for the fear that he would then be drugged and end up in some sort of commune in an island off Scotland uh, where he had to be naked and do weird things. So he didn't eat any of the food. Uh, but I want to reassure you that, well, it's probably too late if you've eaten the food. Uh, but um, there really is no agenda. We're not here to try and force anyone into feeling or thinking or believing anything. Uh, really, this is actually just an opportunity um, to hear uh, a few things about what we think Christianity is, uh, but really to set the agenda uh, for yourself and to discuss and say anything you want to, which I will come on to in a bit. Uh, which also means it's not Sunday school. I know that uh, some people have grown up going to Sunday school, where the right answer is the most important thing. There is a slightly bad joke kind of story of a kid going to Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher says, so children, what is small, has a big bushy tail, gathers nuts and climbs trees? And the kid goes, I know that the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> this is not that. You can discuss anything and everything. You can state any, any opinion. This is really about you setting the agenda. Uh, and therefore, it's not really a Bible study either. It's actually just an open discussion. Uh, so, who comes to Alpha? Well, I want to acknowledge at the start that uh, some people will be very wary of being here. Uh, the idea of coming to a church at all, the idea of coming to a church where they do a Christian thing, uh, for lots of reasons, um, many of which will be incredibly good reasons uh, a bit wary of being here perhaps they've had bad experiences of Christianity in the past perhaps they've had bad, bad experience of Christians or church or whatever um, I want to say thank you for being here I, I don't want to um, belittle uh, what it is to actually even just walk in the door for some people uh, other people will have grown up um, with no sort of faith at all uh, but interested in spirituality interested in what people believe uh, other people will perhaps have grown up with a sort of vague understanding of Christianity from their uh, upbringing, but be interested in now discussing it as an adult with adult thoughts and adult ideas and uh, having had adult experiences uh, and work out what they want to uh, believe about um, big questions like suffering or the Bible or sexuality or those sorts of things. Uh, others will be here because they have recently come to Bread, the church, and we sort of encourage people if uh, they want to, to come here and to kind of get an idea of uh, who I am, uh, what we think church is about, those sorts of things. Um, what I want to say to all of you is um, please feel free to direct things um, to your own will 
as much as possible in the discussion group. This is for you. It's not about um, you fitting into any particular pattern. It's for you. Uh, there'll be people of faith, people of no faith, people of uh, different faiths. You're all very, very welcome. Thank you for being here. This first week is kind of introductory one. As we progress over the following five weeks, we will go into more depth about various aspects of um, Christian faith. Um, and I hope you do get uh, a lot out of it. Um, I really enjoy doing this. This is a part of my job that I really, really enjoy. Not the other parts I don't enjoy. This is the part I really enjoy, though. Um, so, yes, that's a little introduction. Now, as you will know, being the intelligent, thoughtful people that you clearly are, Musical theatre is the lowest of the arts, is it not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tough crowd. Uh, but there is one piece of musical theatre that stands above them all, and that is Les Miserables. It's the only good piece of musical theatre. And in Les Miserables, the revolutionaires sing this before they go into battle. Will the world remember you when you fall? Could it be your death means nothing at all? Is your life just one more life? As we start, I wonder if I could ask you quite a deep question. Are we, are you, simply a biological being floating around for an instant in time with no real meaning? Arbitrary human beings with arbitrary human lives. And perhaps if you come from a Christian perspective, could I ask another question? Is your faith doing anything of real significance for you at all? Do you know that in a recent survey, more than two-thirds of those who identify as Christians in this country said that their faith has no real or significant impact on their life at all? If I could get a little deeper, who are you? What is your purpose? Consider the human progression through life, the universal search for meaning and identity. The young child has to learn that her identity is separate from that of her parents. And that process of individuation drives children into the tyrannical rages that make up the terrible twos. If you are a parent, you may have experienced these. The teenager then goes through a protracted crisis of self-definition that turns her from being your daughter into an angst-ridden alien whose heart cry is that no one, no one understands me. No one understands me. In fact, though, she is just struggling to understand herself. Now, a measure of respite often seems to come to us in young adulthood, in our 20s and 30s, which I know a number of people are in those stages of life here today. We discover, don't we, the power to identify ourselves. We look for ourselves in careers and in long-term relationships. We seize the opportunity to busy ourselves. We become a husband or a mother or a partner or a member or an employee or a creator or an artist or a performer. We are something. But then don't we sometimes wake up one morning having so busied ourselves that we are in danger of actually losing touch of who we actually are? Who are we now? Bruce Springsteen said, I used to think I knew myself. We all live with our delusions. As time goes on, we can, can't we, lose confidence in the things that have come to define us. 
Is it actually enough? What I've put all my effort and time into that job or that relationship, is it actually going to be the answer? And so sometimes we appear to go through a second adolescence in which the old identity questions resurface with renewed intensity. Who am I? Where am I going? We have quarter-life crises or midlife crises. Someone asked me the other day, are you wearing glasses because you're having a midlife crisis? I said, no, I'm just getting old. Now, most of us, I think, realise that we don't and we won't be entirely satisfied in life if we try to reduce our identity to the quest for something impersonal like money or fame. I think we've seen far too many of the spectacularly rich and famous who have told us that making huge amounts of money or appearing on the front of every single magazine is not enough in and of itself. I was driving to the west side uh, this week and I went down Santa Monica and passed the sort of top of Rodeo Drive and this image will stay with me forever because there was a very well-to-do woman there um, in her, I'd say, mid-40s. And in both hands, she had huge numbers of bags, designer bags, just holding them, standing on the corner of the street. But she was sobbing, just sobbing, standing there. A self-identification of, I shop, therefore I am. Or, I'm famous, therefore I am. Or, I am rich, therefore I am. Does not appear, does it, to feed the hunger of the human heart. At most, success and attainment temporarily assuage that hunger, only, I think, for it to resurface later. So, therefore, most of us, I think, assume that intimate personal relationships are the stuff of which significance is made. After all, no one exists in a vacuum. I am from your part of the world. I am from your family. I am your wife or I am your father. I am your friend. I am your lover. People see themselves revealed in loving and intimate relationships. It may be a crazy little thing, but all you need is love, love, love. It really does make the world go round, does it not? Despite everything, despite all that may be going on in our lives, the trauma and the crises, the threats and the uncertainty, all the rage and the political upheaval. Who's looking forward to an election year? We still believe, though, despite all of that, don't we, that we should give and receive love, and that's very, very important. But I wonder whether we are finding it increasingly difficult to do so. I was talking to someone who is good friends with the CEO of Tinder, who said they're really, really, really struggling to keep people on their platform. Not because people do not think that they need love, but that they are not finding it. And all the while, who are you? And will that relationship actually identify you and give you purpose? Philosophers have sometimes identified an existence of this sense of incompleteness this sense of dissatisfaction that seems to be universal to the human experience. Schopenhauer called it a boredom. Nietzsche called it seasickness. Sartre, a nausea. The Christian contention is as follows. The pursuit and even fulfilment of goals or ambitions cannot fully define us because none of them are big enough. 
Although purpose in life is important, no ambition is all-embracing enough to completely identify us. Important parts of me are left out of the picture, even when I succeed at the highest level. And intimate human relationships cannot define me either. Although we are relational beings and human relationships are of vital importance to us, we have been created for yet a still greater level of relationship, greater than any human can satisfy. Again, important parts of me are left out of the picture, even in the closest, most intimate, kind, loving, <coughs> loving relationships. Excuse me. Christianity, by contrast speaks of a transforming and transcendent relationship with God in which our true sense of identity, who we are, what we're for, is where it can only ever be established. St Augustine uh, said in the 5th century, our hearts are restless, restless until they find their rest in God. And so, in order to know the stranger within, who you are, what you're for, we need to experience, so the Christian claim goes, the ultimate expression of love, which comes from beyond, from outside of us. Consider this. The desire to drink points to the existence of fluids that can satisfy your thirst. The desire to eat points to the existence of substances that can satisfy your hunger. In the same way, the lifelong drive to identify ourselves points to the existence of something or more particularly someone who can tell us who we are. Or actually even more than this, to the existence of someone who loves you just as you are. Christianity maintains at its core that we need to be loved into being. All human love is conditional, however great it is. I have a lovely wife. She loves me better than anyone else in the whole universe, and yet her love for me and my love for her will always remain conditional. People love each other because of some attribute personal to them. You are their child, or you are their ideal of a man or woman. Christianity maintains that God loves us because of who he is. God is love. We cannot, therefore, make him love us more or less. And at his baptism, uh, Jesus heard these words from God his Father. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in the Gospels, the lives of Jesus, we discover a man who is perfectly confident in who he is. Perfectly confident in what he is for knowing himself to be unconditionally loved. He was sure of his purpose in life and uniquely pure in his relationships. And the Christian contention is that unless that fundamental relationship between God and ourselves is in place, our sense of purpose in life, who we are, what we are for, will never be fully realised, leaving us to continually be restless within, looking and looking and looking and never quite being satisfied. All well and good. The problem, I believe, is that for so many of us, this God, this true God, this God of Christianity, this person of Christ, has been hidden from view. Or, maybe even worse, has been replaced with something completely different. 
something boring or untrue, something irrelevant or something co-opted and distorted. The actual solution has been somehow masked by a whole bunch of things. My experience of Christianity was like this. I was um, brought up in a Christian home in the countryside, in beautiful England, rolling hills, a bit like um, uh, the Shire from Frodo Baggins's place. Uh, it, was, it was idyllic. But I had these two experiences of Christianity that both did a very, very good job of putting me off Christianity and God and religion and spirituality uh, entirely. The first uh, was at this uh, boarding school that I was sent to. Uh, I had to go to chapel every single day at boarding school, and the boarding school was like this sort of castle on top of a hill. Uh, It wasn't Hogwarts, but it could have been Hogwarts. Uh, We had to wear capes, black long capes, don't worry about that. Uh, But we did every day, and as part of it, we had to go to chapel. It was obligatory, I remember we were all, there's 600 of us going to chapel every day, and I remember hearing a visiting dignitary or someone saying, wow, look how many people go to chapel, it's amazing, it must be obligatory, and I said it is. (laughs) And it was boring, it was uh, impenetrable, it was chanting in Latin, we all stood opposite each other, and we chanted at each other in Latin, and I thought, I do not know why I am doing this, this is a complete waste of time, no one wants to be here, what is it for? So I decided I'd go and speak to the priest. I went and found the priest and I said, I don't understand why we are doing this. Could you give me one good reason? And he talked for a while and then it became abundantly clear that he didn't really know why we were there either, which I didn't find particularly reassuring. And I left with the fact that, oh, no one cares about this. This is boring. This is tied up in ritual that no one can understand. It's just some sort of tradition, but there is nothing here. There is no power. There is no reality. It is useless. That was experience number one. Experience number two was very different but just as bad. This was two evangelical holiday camps that my mum sent me on. Now, they did know what they believed. They really knew what they believed, and they were gunning for people like me. It was like a whole week of outdoor pursuits and guilt. In the morning, you would do some rock climbing. In the afternoon, being told just how disappointed God was in me and how I needed to stop doing all those things I was doing, otherwise he would be smiting me. And having gone from boring, completely irrelevant, without any life, I was now into judgmental, God is angry, he hates me, Christians are horrible. So I left and didn't look back. I thought, I don't believe any of this, this would be wonderful, I'm going to go. So I went to University at Cambridge, I did a secular degree in philosophy and religious studies, and this gave me everything I thought I needed to argue away any truth to the whole thing. It was great. I thought, well, it's all probably made up anyway. Here are all the arguments for it being made up. Look at all the bad things it does. Great. No more God, no more Christianity, no more nothing. I remember the particular moment. I was enjoying quite a nice bottle of wine with quite a nice girl. And I said to God in that moment, I don't believe, I realise I don't believe in you. I'm an atheist. And it was like all the weight of the world fell off my shoulders and I was free. It was wonderful. It really was wonderful. I don't believe. And then I went about my merry way. I moved to London. I I got a job in advertising. I went to parties. I met new people. I had new experiences. It was wonderful. I had money. I had friends. Uh, It was a just great early 2000s, uh, early 2000s experience (laughs) of life in London. 
I was very happy, but I would never have admitted it at the time. But I knew, and looking back, that deep down there was a sense in which I'm bouncing from one thing to another because I'm not quite settled. But I didn't put much truck in it. No one else had deep conversations. We never talked about anything. We just had fun. But I knew that there was a sense in which I'm not quite satisfied. And then one night, I had a, um, I'd been out and I came back to my flat and I had a dream. And in this dream, a big red London bus uh, ran me over and killed me outright. It was incredibly vivid. And I woke up in a cold sweat, sort of bolt upright like in the movies, cold sweat, going, oh my goodness, have I died? And what I felt like I heard, and this is obviously very subjective, but it felt like there was a voice in the room. It wasn't like an audible voice, but it wasn't in my head. There was a voice in the room. And what the voice said was this, Ed, what are you doing with your life? And that question cut me to the core. It wasn't actually the fact that there was a weird voice. It wasn't the fact that I didn't really believe in spirituality, but this seemed to be some sort of spiritual experience. It was more the question. I had no answer to it. I did not know what life was for. I had my whole life planned out. I had my career planned out. I knew the sort of woman I was going to marry, the kind of kids I was going to have, the house I was going to buy, the next woman I was going to marry. I had it all planned out. But I didn't know what life was for. And it really scared me. And so, um, having really given up on faith, I thought, I wonder if I should explore whether there's something more to this whole thing about life than just my own experience. And so what I did is I got out a post-it note and I wrote down the major religions. I wrote Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and then A and other at the bottom. And I thought, I am going to tick these off one by one, check them off, having dismissed them, and then I will know that I've gone through it all and there isn't anything to be there. And I thought, I'll start with Christianity. It's the one I know the best. This won't take long. Uh, So I'll go to a church and just do it finally. Uh, A friend invited me to church. And uh, I thought, great, yep, I'll go along. Uh, I've tried this a lot, nothing there. But I walked through the doors and I said, God, I don't believe in you, but I'm going to go along. Uh, But I'm not going to get involved. And having done that, I then burst into tears. I hadn't cried since I was about 10. I didn't really know why. I wasn't happy, I wasn't sad, but I felt wonderful. Very strange. I tried to wipe the tears away, and I sat at the back for a long time, listening to the talks, hearing the terrible music. I just, it was just bad. Uh, but listening to the talks, and the guy there was quite compelling. He was in Oxford. He'd been to Oxford. He studied law. He'd had quite a dramatic conversion. I found him uh, credible. I also had this annoying experience of finding the people there, that there was something to them. I couldn't put my finger on it, but they seemed like not particularly happy, but they just had a joy to them. I'd met Christians before and dismissed all of them. I'd found them judgmental, boring, weird. These ones, they had normal jobs, they looked normal, their clothes were okay, but there was something, there was something to them, and I couldn't put my finger on it. So I kept coming back and I did a course like this. And my experience was sort of two steps forward, one step back. Uh, I am uh, naturally a cynic. And I was like, I'm going to explore uh, all of this. I'm going to read everything. And I'm not going to buy anything unless I actually believe it. So it was like two steps forward, one step back, intellectual, um, trying to uh, be open to some sort of spiritual thing. And over time, I found myself being convinced. One day at church... Um, I remember the talk was particularly bad. Uh, I don't remember anything about the music. 
but I found myself um, at the end of the service at the front of church not knowing how I got there. I still wouldn't have said I believed, but I was there at the front of church and I had what I can only describe as the most powerful experience of something from outside of me that I could ever possibly have even imagined. It was like I was kind of crippled on the floor, this power running through me. And I remember it lasted for about 15 minutes and at the end of it I went, wow, I don't believe, but there's something going on here. There is something going on here and it kept me coming back over and over again. What I now believe and what I came to believe then is that um, Christianity in the person of Jesus is uniquely concerned with the questions that people really, really care about. Questions like, who am I? What's my purpose in life? And I think those questions are only found in one place, the person of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way. And by that, he meant he it is who is the one who brings people to ultimate meaning and purpose in life. But not all is that what he said. He also said, I am the truth. Let me draw a contrast as I end. The Buddha said, I die seeking the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Which, of course, doesn't prove anything. But it does show quite how unequivocal Jesus is. He doesn't just think he's for a select few. He says, I am the whole thing. I am for everyone. And so either what he says about himself is true or it is not. As C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia book, said, Christianity is a statement which, if it's false, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And throughout history, many notable brains from Blaise Pascal to Isaac Newton to Galileo to Descartes have all found the claims, the historical claims of Christianity compelling enough to turn them to believers. Which, again, doesn't prove anything, but it suggests that there is enough historical, actual evidence, actual rational reason for believing, which we'll look at later. But just because other people believe doesn't mean you should the evidence for Christianity is available to all for them to work out what they think. But when Jesus said, I am the truth, he didn't just mean he was the truth in a rational sense. Uh, I hate to burst any bubbles, but Jesus was Jewish. A fact often missed by those uh, pictures of him with white glowing locks and white alabaster skin and piercing blue eyes, holding bunnies. But actually Jesus was born in uh, um, what is at the time was known as Palestine, he would have been a brown-skinned Jewish person. And as a brown-skinned Jewish person, his understanding of truth would have been what uh, contemporary Hebrew understanding of it was, which is not just rational things to believe, but also experiential things to experience. Truth is a person. Truth is someone you can know. Truth is someone who can come as close to you as your best friend look you in the eyes and say, I am here and I am real. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's not just saying, I am real. He's saying, I'm with you. You can experience me. Something that we will continue to look at for the rest of the course. And then finally, Jesus says, I'm the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. I am the only one who can actually satisfy the deepest needs of any human being. 
And what I've seen is that those who've experienced his love, the love of God, the God who is love, they, even in a city like this, don't feel this pressure to make a name for themselves because they already know exactly who they are because they have had the one who has created them tell them who they are and it frees them to be able to accept themselves and other people extravagantly and abundantly just as God does. Now this of course doesn't mean that the Christian life is easy. It isn't always easy. In fact it can be very difficult. But I do believe it's the most exciting, life-giving, fulfilling experience that anyone can undertake. And that's really the reason why we do this course, is to help people, whatever their experience, to understand more and to actually experience more of the true Christian faith, the Christian faith of Jesus, who uh, says to to anyone, I'm here, would you let me in and let me revolutionise your life? So that's enough from me. Thank you for listening.